This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and Game Master. Heroes, we are rapidly approaching December, and that means we're rapidly approaching the end of December, which means we are rapidly approaching uh, the birth of my first child. And that means the recording schedule for One Shot gets a little bit more chaotic. So I decided to take it easy, do a couple layup series. So for the next couple of weeks on One Shot, we are going to be playing Descended from the Queen games. Descended from the Queen is a role-playing design format uh, created by our dear friend Alex Roberts with her game For the Queen. Descended from the Queen games take advantage of open-ended questions to weave a story usually around a group of people and their relationship with either a, a person or thing. I don't want to get too specific because this is a very new type of design and there are a lot of exciting ideas surrounding this format, one of which we played this week, a game called Decaying Orbit. Decaying Orbit explores the relationship between a group of people and a spaceship. One that has sent off the logs of its last mission. Decaying Orbit itself has three different ships with different play types that lead to different game experiences. So I don't want to make any generalizations about Decaying Orbit itself. But one thing that I found really interesting and compelling is the kind of perspective that gets folded into this game. Players take on the role of a ship AI. And not an AI necessarily that has a personality, but an AI that is an artificial intelligence designed to do specific tasks and collect specific information, which allows players to get in a really non-human headspace and think up some really clever and inventive ways of perception and deduction. In playing this game, I thought we really just scratched the surface of potential for storytelling around an idea like this. I had so much fun playing, and I decided to play it with some new people. Everyone that you're going to hear over the next two Descended from the Queen series is brand new to the OneShot Network, and we are so honored and happy to have them. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this recording as much as I enjoyed recording it for y'all. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get to the show. Hey, heroes, let's meet our party for this week. And we've got a slate of all new voices for you to meet. Let's start with Daryl. Daryl, welcome to One Shot. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to meet you. I'm very excited to meet you through the context of playing with you. But, but before we jump into that, though, uh, do you have any plugs, any work that you'd like to show off to the audience? Yes. Every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern, that is my time, I play on the Games Tavern Twitch D&D game called The Mists. And also, I'm a part of a podcast known as Treasures Untold, where each of us play as different fictional book characters. Oh, that's cool. What, which character do you play? I play Shadow Moon from American Gods. 
I can hear, like, listening to your voice, you're an exceptionally good pick for that character. So that rules. That's really exciting. Where where can people find this? Is just anywhere they get their podcasts? Are you on Spotify? Anywhere you can find a podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can find it. So, listener, if you are listening right now, pull out your phone. Don't delay. Look up that feed, because if you're like me, you want to check that out as quickly as possible. Daryl, before we move on to introduce our next voice, I would love to know, since we're playing a space-themed game, if you had the opportunity to work in space, what would your ideal job be? Most likely security. Oh, security. Okay, yeah, it's more exciting. You're on the front lines. I I don't know about the survival rate in most sci-fi media properties, um, <laughs> but if you've got a complicated past, I, I think you've got a good shot. So before we, we get too far down that rabbit hole, because we are going to have other characters, let's talk to our next guest, and that is Diana. Diana, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks. It's so nice to be here. It's nice to have you. I am mostly familiar, I think, with like the cosplay photos that you post on Twitter. So <laughs> this is oh, like... Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I, but I know you've done streaming and whatnot. Uh, that's just what I see most of the time because I am either managing this show or on Twitter, which is maybe not the healthiest thing in the world. Yeah. Well, I can't speak to that. I... I tweet like 400 times a day. It's, it's a sickness. <laughs> it's a sickness that we both share. Yes. Well, Diana, I, I would like to know uh, for our audience, if they would like to find more of your work, uh, where can they find it and what might it be? Oh, my gosh. Well, if you want to hear me yammer on, you can go follow me on, at Super Dylan on Twitter. If you want to see my actual work work, you can go to superdylan.com, which is where you'll find things like the Femsplained podcast, where two queer, mostly femme human beings talk about our nerdy interests without being interrupted or quizzed. Or you can check out some of my RPG work like Neverland the Impossible Island, a 5e setting guide based on Peter Pan, Ooh. and some other games as well. So that's that's where you can do everything. Oh, that's lovely. I mean... Neverland is something that is near and dear to at least my, my best friend's hearts. They they had like a very heavy kind of Peter Wendy vibe at their wedding. So uh, I know they will appreciate that. That's really cool. That is adorable. Before we move on, though, I have to ask, if you found yourself in space, what job would you like to have? So I think that it's sort of related to what I do in, in not space, which is I, I work in patient advocacy. I feel like... I feel like in space, humans are going to need a really strong advocate for 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 ethics and morality <laughs> about uh, not interacting with aliens in terrible ways. So I think maybe I would be involved in in the empathy crew somewhere okay. in space. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I can't tell if like that is halfway going to be a curse for you being responsible for being like an ethics and empathy. It's a curse for me right watched. now. Yeah, well, that's so, true. So, yeah. it's, it's, it's real rough. I guess it's the devil you know. Why not encounter yes. the devil that you know in space? Yes. 
That's great. Uh, I am glad that somebody is out here willing to do the difficult uh, uh, potential work uh, in space. It's already already made our, our crew here a little bit brighter. But let, let's move on and meet our next voice. And that is going to be Rio. Rio, welcome to One Shot. Hello. Yes, I am Rio. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for being a longtime listener, as that, you know, is very near and dear to my heart. Rio, for, for those who don't know, is not just a listener. They, they are an active listener to many shows in the One Shot Network and produce some truly fantastic fan art for those shows. And all of the fan artists who, like, submit, you know, different work on Twitter and whatnot warm my heart. But I, I really do love Rio's work. So I'm so excited to put a voice to, to the art. But... Rio, this is about you and specifically benefiting you in this capitalist hellscape. So are there any projects that you would like to direct our audience to uh, to to appreciate your work? When I'm not posting fan art on Twitter, I am playing a fishman himbo on Gem Jammer. (laughs) It's a spell jammer podcast where me and my friends uh, who are all queer AFAB peoples play disaster gaze in in wild space where we do a lot of fights uh with a bit of flair believe me just the elevator pitch has so much it's dripping with flavor i'm I'm certain that there are members of my audience who either deeply love gem and the holograms or deeply love spell jammer who cannot wait to see those two things come together so yeah is this uh, found everywhere podcasts are generally found you can find that podcast anywhere you get podcasts. <laughs> so all your podcasting needs are met. Or you can go to the website directly at crookedrussiancam.horse or .gay if you're nasty that way. And you can find me directly on Twitter at vriosart. And yeah, happy to be here. Man, or dot gay if you're nasty that way is like such a beautiful phrase. And I might have to contact our our web developer to see if we can get on there too. That's delightful. Rio, I have to ask, if you found yourself in space, what job would you like to have? I would be a nap pod tester. Because all these sci-fi fantasy movies they always got you sleeping for a thousand years or something i want to be the person who makes sure those nap pods are excellent you can't go into space go billions of light years away without having a good snooze being being prepared being ready for that adventure yeah, yeah. I mean, th- it feels like there are a lot of things that could go south in nap potting. We need a seasoned expert inspector, like who can go. This this foam is not going to hold up to a journey of a hundred years or whatever you know long term time dilations that we 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 meet in space. We need someone like that, and I'm glad that you're the brave soul who's willing to put yourself on the line. Obviously, with Diana watching over to make sure there are no ethical violations with how you're being treated, so we know that <laughs> we know that you don't get blown up. Yeah, that that is good, and I respect it. 
Uh, we do have one more voice to introduce to everyone before we get started on our game, and that is Sydney. Sydney, welcome to One Shot. G'day, James. Thanks for uh, having me on here. It's a pleasure to speak to you two years after our meeting at Big Bad. Yeah, I am very excited to... like. <sighs> Conventions are very difficult because rarely do you get to play games with all of the exciting people that you meet. And, you know, playing games is you know my favorite form of bonding for sure. So I am delighted to actually get an opportunity to play a real game with you and your game on top of that. Before we dive right in, though, uh, I would like to ask, uh, where can the audience find your work? Should they be like like they will be? so impressed with this game that they will want to own it and anything else that you have done immediately where can they go so starting at stuff you can access now my previous project is a powered by the apocalypse uh, analysis and descriptivist show called the hard move that's available where you find your podcasts my current project which is releasing as this one goes live if uh if i've got my timelines right for one shot is a 32 monster bracket with a bunch of my friends trying to find the best of the worst it's called the goodest baddie and it's available at uh, goodestbaddie.com plus you know all your podcatchers yeah i mean okay. try to pick the the boule from the dragon turtle and let me know how you go there that's gonna be that's that's round one. That's just starting us off. Uh, I have a very particular audience. Now, is this is this in them fighting? Is this just uh, assessing them as overall creations? Or is this which one people want to kiss? So this is the goodest. Now, mm-hmm. I will put forward that so far, things that my, my co-creators have brought up have been which one is easier to ride, which one smooches better. Uh, the gibbering yep. mouther is really yep. high on the smooch ability scale. Super, super um, important. Super important. Which one tastes better? Which one could be best used as a mech? Mm. There's a lot of criteria for good. Good. I'm glad that this is a really holistic approach, and I can I can definitely put my seal of approval on your methodology there. That's great, listeners. Please go check that out, Sydney. Before I have you take the reins and, and guide us through your game, I would like to know if you found yourself in space, what job would you want to have? I think I'd love the idea of we always hear about the person like plotting the hyperspace jump. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a fantastic gig. I think that'd be really, really interesting, right? Trying to Are like... you good at math? Are you a math no. person? No, 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 but you've got computers to help, surely. <laughs> I have computers to help now and the stakes for the math that I do, I would I would describe them as very low. Um, yeah. I do think a hyper jump, a hyperspace jump, they might be a bit higher, like like a little bit higher. Okay, but I imagine, like, I'm getting some training in this. I'm not just rolling out of bed tomorrow and someone's like, you got to calculate the gravity wells to do the Kessel Run in parsecs. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Sh- Sydney, I adore your confidence, and I wish, I wish that I could live my life with it. Um, that is at least a master's level in theoretical physics right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Daryl, uh, you as our security person might have yep. to take Sydney away from the controls. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is just like you can navigate through space and hyperspace if you know which monsters are best. That's probably really important to it. Uh which, you know, makes you uniquely positioned uh for this this work, Sydney. But you know, with that there there are a lot that we, we can think about our potential space jobs and a potential capitalist hellscape in the stars. But I would rather do that through the lens of this game. Sydney, could you please take us away to a world of fantasy? And please, Sydney, take us away. 
So first and foremost, thank you for for joining me for this game today. I would love to introduce you to my game, Decaying Orbit. This is releasing in February as part of Story Brewer's Little Box series. Decaying Orbit is a game that explores the narrative of a failed space station that is descending into a faraway star. 163 light years away from Earth, there is a K-type star called AB Pictoris. It burns a true bright orange, slightly cooler than our own. It is humanity's most distant outpost. And it's crewed by a bunch of professionals, but they also have an artificial intelligence. Now, where we come into the story, the artificial intelligence awakes. Everyone's dead or gone. The engines are are dead. The space station is falling into the star. But being a a robot, we have memories to comb through. And that's what we're going to kind of do collectively, is go back through our memories of the space station, both when it was functioning and after whatever the incident is after the many incidents that may have driven this ship to collapse and then we'll do that lovely do you defend the queen wrap up at the end where we figure out together what's the last transmission that we as an artificial intelligence send before we collapse into the sun touchstones for this are things like alien danny boyle's 2007 film sunshine ad astra interstellar anything where people are out in space trying to figure out how humanity survives in a vast void of vacuum now the first question i always ask is does that sound like a game you'd be happy to play today absolutely yes mm-hmm. yes wonderful thank you for your enthusiasm one one of the things that tells me that i'm on the right path designing this is that really cool people like playing it so it's, it's been <laughs> a joy to, to do this with you so the first thing we need to ch- do is choose what type of ship we will have there are three options the first is the athena 2 The Athena II is a Pike-class warship. It is deadly and ambitious, sent to fortify this system against unknown threats. Stories on the Athena II tend to be conspiratorial and mysterious. There is the research station Hephaestus, a science vessel, lightly crewed and with an unclear mission. There's an alien sense to everything on board. Stories aboard the Hephaestus tend to be curious and about discoveries large and small. And the third is the New Eden, which is a colony ship. Sent to terraform a new home for the souls on board. Stories aboard the New Eden tend to be about cycles and the human nature of yearning. Ooh. Does anyone have a vibe? I like the latter two. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like I like the second one because I feel like I'm definitely going to die first. Uh, ben. <laughs> Secu- <laughs> I it's think like the security officer. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, let's... Let's do the science vessel, uh, uh, the Hephaestus. Wonderful, wonderful. So now there are sort of two phases to this game. There's like a card in the middle that changes the tone of it. As we start, and as we start to like dig through the memories of the AI, we're going to be talking about the way things were when the ship was fully functioning. The cards that we draw, rather than having questions, are going to have rooms, parts of this space station. You know, everything from greenhouses to DNA labs, the kind of things you'll find on a, on a science vessel. When we read through the room, it's going to present you an opportunity to set a scene. Now that scene, this is the thing that I love about Decaying Orbit and that I really hope that I can communicate to you in a, in a way that makes you love it as much as I do. Robots, artificial intelligences, see the world differently to how we do. Which means the cinematic language that we all have come used to in describing our, our fantasy games uh, is not the language that you're going to need to take into this game. You may be able to set a scene entirely in infrared. You may be able to set a scene from a single security camera. It may be a time lapse over years. It could be a report written on a computer. It could be like a 
you know, Bioshock style audio log. Robots gather lots of different kinds of information and they, they hold it differently. And so I want to really give you the freedom to like step outside of that visual first language that we all, we all have and hold. I've seen a love scene set in a greenhouse told entirely through heart rate monitors. Lots, mm. of, lots of options on board. And so the other thing behind that is that unlike for the Queen proper, we are not individually owning characters. You know, we don't we don't have one person playing the nap pod tester and one person playing the bar. We are all the AI and we are all referring back to all of the crew and who they could be and kind of unfolding and building on each other. Alongside the safety mechanics that we, we discussed off, off record, I also want to bring up the concept of corrupted memories. And that is that this is obviously a broken space station that is, is obviously has something wrong with it. That also extends to us as the artificial intelligence. There is a tool that's great to use to either move stuff off screen or just as a nice suspense addition, which is memories can become corrupted. So the stranger takes off their space helmet and as we see their face, that memory's corrupted. Or if you can't think of something, it's also a great filler as well. The, the captain opens their mouth to yell at a support and, and, and oh, I can't think of anything. So like the, the, what they actually say is corrupted or, or that shot doesn't have sound to it. And that can just kind of offer you some flexibility, I guess, in your storytelling, which is one thing I'd love to do for you. Lovely. Does anyone have any questions at this point? No, let's go for it. Yeah, I'm good. Great. So with our introduction cards, we're talking about our memories of the crew, the station, the star, considering things like something that happened with the crews if they're alone, something they left behind, or the world as an AI sees it. And uh, James, your first card here is the greenhouse. One of the few rooms where life still reigns. Fed by AB Pictoris, unchecked by the crew, plants snake over each other and bloom into wild colours. Now, that's how the greenhouse exists as, as it is now in, like, the failed state. Your opportunity is to talk about how it was as the ship was functioning. There are two prompts on here that may, may help build stories, and that is a surprise abundance or tending to that which needs attention. Okay. So I, I think a log starts up that is the vital information about maintaining the greenhouse. So the things that we get are the light levels, light quality and light cycle. We get the level of water, both that is like distributed through sprinklers and also the moisture in the air itself. We also get the pollen levels that are in here. And we can see that through most of this, there's just like years and years of these being fairly stable. Like some things like the water might spike occasionally, but it's on a pretty consistent and regular schedule. There are also, you know, I, I think this science station for part of it is testing out how it can manipulate seasons. You know, the the, the light that, that, that we get on this ship to sort of, you know, fuel all of the various electronic vital systems through our solar panels, that gives us energy that we can play with. But this is a deep space mission in part to, like, there are very vague goals, but one of them is see which seasons we can cut out completely. And the pollen reader is extremely important for that because 
part of the experimental goal, at least of this thrust of the experiment, is figuring out how many times can we get these plants in here to sync up on their pollination cycles. And a lot of that is done through very minute changes to the light quality, the light cycling. And I guess the temperature in the room is probably another thing that, that we're missing. So we can see this on regular cycles for most of the experiment. However, there is a part of the experiment, I want to say like halfway through our available data, the pollen level reaches a point where it, it never drops below the standard minimum. And there are a couple breaks in the cycle where it is very clear that everything was shut down and everything was like cleaned out. So it starts at like pollen level zero before the room restarts and starts taking those readings again. But very quickly, that minimum is exceeded and it appears that there's a point where they stop shutting down and restarting and cleaning and just accept the higher pollen count. It hits a point where the pollen count is basically the pollen count as it would be if everything was in full bloom for a very long period of time. Then it spikes to a point where it is the maximum readout that like can possibly be on the sensors. And it's at this point where alerts just start going off. It is, in fact, the same alert that is if the station were, were still in orbit, if, if we were to assume that these are the moments before we, we send off our final message, this is an alert that is still going off. As you know, we, we can see, I, I think there are pictures that accompany this, like visual files that, that are included, because in the case that any of these readings are outside nominal range, there is a broad spectrum capture. This room really just has, in addition to its normal sensors, it does have like video feeds. This is for, you know, regular documentation, what have you. But we see the snapshots and like at first we can just see wild blooms everywhere. And there are, you know, a couple hundred of these snapshots. So you can see people who are, are dressed for, you know, this sort of botany work in this lab moving around at different positions. And we can see the blooms just getting larger and larger, more wild and alien in appearance. And then the pictures start to get blurrier and blurrier and blurrier, tinted with like a bit of a yellow hue until we realize that the pollen in this room has completely blocked out the camera lenses. And the remaining pictures that we have are just that vaguely yellow picture of a camera that is constantly taking a picture of a pollen-covered lens. Goodness, that's strong. That's strong. Also, a great opportunity to talk about the fact that as an AI with three cycles, we also have the opportunity to dig deeper into things and to, like, ask questions and to, you know, uh, investigate stuff that we find interesting uh, in other people's uh, work and kind of, like, enhance parts of that memory or, or ask separate things. I definitely have a, a question in this, which is um, I think that in these shots, we noticed that uh, a lot of these a lot of these plants, I think, would be utilitarian in some way. You know, they'd either be fruiting to help the station or whatever. But I think there is, like, one of those really, like, gorgeous plants that is just there for beauty. 
mm-hmm. and as a as a like as an AI, we probably don't get it. But every time we see these scientists come in and they're ready for their botany work, they like attend to it with a softness they don't share with the rest of the plants. And I, I wonder, um, James, if you can tell me like what that is. Okay. Okay. So with the the parameters are specifically it is a plant that they are attending to with a gentleness that they don't attend to the other plants with. Yes. I think Sydney. I think this is marijuana. Yes. Yes. And it's not. It's not regulation. In fact, on the camera, like this plant is always out of focus. And during inventory sweeps, we as AI have like constantly flagged like, hey, you're forgetting to there's extra water going somewhere. You're forgetting to account for something that is always manually deleted with a override. And we just like always go through it because anytime like something is recorded, like it's it's our assumption that like, oh, you, you must have meant to record this, but it's always the same manual override. We have logged the instances of manual override, but that is all that we've been allowed to retain. The crew does love it. And I, I would love to imagine that as AI, like we can approach understanding that some things are about aesthetics and you know different kinds of consumption but clearly the crew that engages with this plant and engages with it in a a different way that that is mystifying the way that it is talked about is as though it is something sacred and at the same time as though it is something profane so it's really difficult for us to understand exactly the type of joy that people get out of this thing. The closest comparison that we have is in the database of electronic entertainment that is loaded up for the crew. They talk about horror movies in, in a similar way. Films that explore the the profane and, and terrible things that could await people as they go through their lives. They talk about it with such joy, even though the subject matter is so terrible. This is something that they treat with such love, but every time they talk about engaging with it, they show signs of being embarrassed or self-conscious. Hey, Heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, we had a holiday recently here in the United States. Uh, I hope everyone had a wonderful time, whether you were with your families, with your friends, or just enjoying yourself on your own. I would just like to take a moment to shout out my spouse, Mel D'Amato, who this year made one of the best turkeys I have ever tasted in my life. Hun, You really knocked it out of the park. I know I have told you many, many times, but now I am telling the world on the podcast that this was such a good turkey, and I am so proud of you, and I love you so much, and I'm so grateful to have you in my life. Uh, With that said, I would like to thank everyone who supports the One Shot Network on Patreon. It is because of you that you're listening to this episode right now. Uh, Without our wonderful supporters, we wouldn't be able to pay our guests who came on uh, for the first time to the One Shot Network for their wonderful performances. We wouldn't be able to pay our editor, Tracy Barnett. Uh, We wouldn't be able to pay me uh, to live. And I really actually do need that in this capitalist hellscape that we live in. So... 
If you enjoy what you're hearing, please head over to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and join up to be a supporter. Uh, we usually have uh, Patreon thank yous. Thank yous to the many people who help us make this show through Patreon in this segment. Um, but we're generating a new list of backer thank yous that's going to be out in January. In the meantime, we do have name corrections. So Christopher Caragillo, thank you so much for supporting us. Uh, and everyone else who would like to sign up and be thanked in the next batch of thank yous, please head over and, and do that as soon as possible. We're going to be generating that new list in December so that we can start reading them out in January. That is it. So happy holidays to everyone who was celebrating them recently and has any holidays uh, upcoming. And with all that out of the way, let's get back to the show. so wonderful it is it is going uh uh I, let me know if i can take pull quotes from that because um the crew <laughs> the crew blazes hard is definitely going on the back of the box yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> 420 <laughs> light years away <laughs> star trek the chillest generation <laughs> it'll be it'll be daryl's opportunity to uh to bring pollen back uh, if you'd like yeah, I gotta follow this. <laughs> Daryl, you have the docking bay. Sealed tubes for equalizing pressure between ships. A promise of visitors and resupply that was never fulfilled. And the two prompts on this one are pulling apart or a chance meeting. So I I get to choose between those last two? Yeah. Yeah, they kind of just um they're they're inspiration for you in the way that uh, inspiration is for a lot of um like non-responsive games like this, which is I as a designer put time into writing things that hopefully inspire you, but like if you don't need them, then I'm not going to be upset. You can tell the story you want to tell. Okay, now let, let me get into this place where I can improv an entire scene just like uh, James just did. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> okay, docking bay. So I'm saying for this, the log is mostly just actual camera footage. It's not really scientific. Every now and it, yeah, though, it'll zoom in on certain ships coming in with certain... With goods, maybe zooming in on each on each number, making sure everything is logged properly. But there's a break, obviously, in the chain when something something probably incredibly important does not come into the ship. And on camera, we see there is a bit of a kerfuffle of multiple workers looking through the logs, looking through everything, trying to figure out what is missing or if it just didn't arrive at all. And if it didn't arrive it seems that for the workers that are being viewed panic is ensuing more and more because this is something that is needed obviously as an ai you probably don't recognize this but for the viewer they're rec they can read panic on someone's face like and if you check do check through the logs that corresponds with the footage more than likely it was some type of mechanical upgrade that was needed for the ship to maintain the growth that was happening in the greenhouse. Something that would keep the radiation in this new area and space from affecting said greenhouse. Oh, that's very good. In a uh, bad way. And as such, more and more panic ensues, and then eventually other people from different, from different departments end up showing up. You do see those people in hazmat hazmat gear showing up that work in the greenhouse 
trying to figure out where everything is. Eventually, it's just everyone trying to figure out what is missing. If it maybe it slid under somewhere, maybe it full blown didn't arrive. It's honestly it can't be determined because for some reason it's just not showing up in logs as ever arriving or ever even being ordered to arrive. Oh. Everyone has the memory of knowing that this was supposed to come. And I would say at this point, maybe in the corner of the AI logs, it's recording heartbeats and it just goes from super chill, super chill heartbeat. Everyone's been partaking in the one plant that is always conveniently left out of certain logs in the greenhouse. Everyone's at a cool 66 RPM, maybe a little bit lower. And this, as the days go on, progressively, every time someone comes in and checks a log, it spikes higher, 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 until eventually everyone's in there and it's just off the charts. And then on these logs, you eventually just see the lights go red and that will correspond when eventually the cameras are just overtaken with all the pollen that's arisen in the green room and then it it shorts out. There is a moment... Daryl is as someone who makes a thing where you see someone get it mm-hmm. and it, it is a brilliant moment. And I just want to thank you for like giving that to me. That's, mm. that's awesome. Thank you. I, we're allowed to ask like a question to, to, to dig in. I kind of want to zoom in on that first day. Cause I imagine that there is just one person that is consistently when things are normal there's one person yes. who's in and out of this shipment just just a doc, a doc master this is just what they do every mm-hmm. day you know however many times a day and that first moment that first moment where it's missing are they the person that went to report it right away or the person that delayed feeling like maybe this is not a big deal Maybe there's nothing really wrong here. Like when they first noticed the shipment gone, did they spring into action or or did they hope that it would just turn up? They definitely hoped it would just turn up. Probably gave it a day and that was one day too many. Gave it a day to look around. Oh, maybe it's, maybe it's just delayed a little bit. And then when it just never did, then it was reported. But by then it was kind of a little too late. Cool. Awesome. Uh, Diana, I have one for you if we're we're moving to the next one. Sensory deprivation. A tranquil place for the crew to ponder their experiments. The white noise and formless walls cast silence into every corner of the human mind. Remember, a mismatched puzzle piece or being adrift. I imagine that in the sensory deprivation area... To truly keep it contained, all that exists is maybe a vital sign monitor that makes sure that you're staying afloat, staying literally alive in there in the event of any sort of emergency. Looking through the logs, we as the AI can sort of identify who is who based on the baseline of who's walking in. And we see that some people, some crew members come in often. Some crew members come in rarely. Some have never been inside. But there is one person that frequently enters the 
sensory deprivation center, maybe even once in a, in a cycle is coming in there. And when they come in to the, to the center, their vital signs are erratic, like someone having a panic. And by the time they leave, they are nice and calm. And we flip through this cycle of this person, whoever they are, and their pattern of coming in each day heightened and panicked and leaving calm. And one day they come in and they stay longer than what the allotted time would be normally. Their vital signs slowing to the point where for the first time in all our logs, another set of vital signs enters the room to presumably interrupt what has happened. And this disrupts all of the data that we have built. Now we have these two vital signs conflicting information on each other and they stay in the room. Heart rates rising, respirations rising, shallow breaths, and it goes on for a long time and there is not a lot of context to this. And so I think that we check to see the camera just outside the deprivation center that corresponds with this. And we see the two figures as they leave the deprivation site. And at this time, we would see one figure with swollen features on her face, redness all over her nose, and is holding up medicine in her hand. The other person yelling something, but we don't have audio on this camera. And they fight for a bit. And right before they walk away, we notice that the woman with the swollen features on her face is sneezing and sneezing and walks away. Watching again, those two never come back to the deprivation site. And people start coming there less and less until one day as the cameras are starting to become blurred with the pollen and the just overall energy in this room obfuscating the camera's lens, those two come back and enter the room. And that is the last footage that we have. Super excellent. That's, that's real, real good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that very much. You're, you're very good at uh, one of the things you, you've hit on really well that I love about this this game is like parceling out information and like letting people draw conclusions in different ways. It's wonderful. God, you're so good at games. We should hang out more. <laughs> Rio, one for you. Crew bedding. Individual bedrooms for scientists scattered with open books about both space and home. Each room is a little isolated station of its own. Your two prompts here are sterile truths or a secret ritual. So, private rooms tend to not have a whole lot of data about them. It's a place where security is more physical and less recorded. But humans being humans, we want to record just about everything. We want to keep a track of ourselves 
and the others around us. So I think someone on the crew or maybe the crew's family has been keeping a private journal, just an audio diary or something quickly on their notepad, computer, or something like that. We, as the AI, have limited access, but because it's still on the system, we have some. Just about every night, there's a little entry. We're not sure of the significance of it, and sometimes names pop up that are connected to crew members or service logs, but the information around them doesn't make much sense to us. It seems quite personal. These entries become more and more frequent the longer the pollen count increases, to the point where it seems whoever is making these logs isn't leaving their room anymore, and all they have is themselves. Until one day these logs stop, and they don't start up again, and they're not accessed, and we, we cannot access them. Are we able to see if anyone else has ever accessed them? There is a possibility to access them. It seems there is another administrator to this computer, but for whatever reason, this particular person's privacy was respected. Normally, private crew information like this would be, you know, discarded by the AI's, I think, log system. I I think unless you have a very particular situation like this where the crew member is exploiting our protocols to specifically make us recall their log, which I think is probably why we haven't discarded it at all. My question is, in sending a data package off, do you think this would be included in that data at all? Like, would would the AI system, general as a holistic unit, go, well, this is private information that, that was tipped to be saved, but obviously cannot be shared? Or is it a, a situation where we have enough from the AI to know that, oh, they're going to want literally every piece of data that is left on the ship because we happen to be in the situation that we're in? I think because of the limited resources, just in terms of how much we can send at one time and just how much time we estimate before we can't send anything at all, this might be left behind. Cool. I I love this. I love this so much, which is why I am going to ask this one last question. And that is, in order to get... Uh, a log like this uh, into our system. I think there is a necessary suspension of normal system functioning. You know, the 
microphone or whatever that happens to be present in the room has to be told not to react to things being said as though they are commands. And this final log being so long, being one that ran continuously for a very long time before being shut down, was in this state for quite some time. In reviewing that footage, we as the AI system know that words were said that would normally be commands issued to an AI unit, but because it was in a log state, we were not able to enact those commands due to specific protocols. I just want to know, what was the command that we were not able to act on? I think it was probably call mom. Ooh. <laughs> Delicious. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> God. God. <laughs> oh no. No, no. <laughs> oh no, I have space feelings. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I can't call your mother. <laughs> Quarantine airlock. A pair of doors that conceal and fill with freezing sterile air or scalding water. This is a place where strange things come to die. My prompts are a gut feeling or an empty promise. I'm in that that slightly enviable position of having played this game so much that like I have a memory bank of like a bunch of cool things I can do with each room, but also <laughs> I want to surprise myself in new ways. Okay, so uh, I love doing scenes in infrared, so I'm going to do this one. Infrared scene, we see the external door of the quarantine airlock opens. A person comes in dressed in full space suit, and because the suit is cold from the vacuum of space... It is just like a, a dark blue void against the, the cold steel of the ship's hull. And as the body awkwardly moves into position and hits a button, from the top down, the quarantine airlock fills with like red hot as the water streams through sprinklers and, and coats this suit. And when it's, it's done and it, and it loops through its cycle, a little pop-up in our notification box that says... No additional organisms detected. And the suit is now like a kind of yellowy orange where it's taken on the heat from the water. And then the internal door opens and the, the suit passes through. And I think we have like a couple of runs of, of action like that. People going in and out. That notification always popping up with no external uh, organisms detected. And then there's a day where I think the first notice we get that something is wrong is there's a notification. Same, same shot of this airlock from the infrared camera, there's a notification that pops up that says item and then some corrupted string of binary hexadecimal digits inadvertently lost, added to reorder schedule. And then a couple of seconds later, someone comes running onto screen and they are the kind of like normal, like soft yellow that people would be on this screen. And on their arm is a small section that is like a, a dark, almost like frozen blue. And then their skin around that blue section is like red hot. And they get to the airlock and like they're fumbling with the, with the controls and someone comes along and, and are like rushing behind them. The vitals in the corner are all spiking and they basically, you know, wrench this door open and jam this person through. And the person inside hits the button with their, their hand that is not spreading this red hot up their arm. They hit the button and there's a warning which is um, an unshielded crew detected, like security override required. 
and the person outside is fumbling and it's incorrect code, please re-enter. And they fumble with it a couple of times and we just see that blue spot staying the same size and that red just like spreading out from it and out from it and out from it. And then they, they finally get their code in, the button hits, the bright red falls from the ceiling and blankets everything inside there. The, oh, okay. I've got two ways I'm going to go with this. I'm going to do like a tone check. Are people cool if I kill this scientist? I assumed that was what was happening. In in a cool. bit of trouble, yeah. I think that the the red goes away, the person outside is pressed against the glass. Where they're touching the glass, we can see the heat from their body and their breath like makes the glass like glow like a soft yellow. And then inside we see slumped back against the wall, this person. Their body now like a warm orange from that hot water. The blue spot on their arm is gone. The note comes up that says um, no organisms detected and their vitals in the corner move to flatline and over the next hour or so of this person just pressed against the glass in, in kind of disbelief, we see the body in the airlock cool to the quiet blue of the spaceship hull. This episode of One Shot features music from the following artists. Detour in Valor by Fairlight. This episode of One Shot was edited and sound designed by Tracy Barnett. You can find more of their work online anywhere at The Other Tracy. So, in terms of order, does anyone have a preference on going first, going second, going last? Or should we stick to the order that we had at the start when we were counting in, leading off with, with yourself, James? Or Oh, uh, sure, sure. Well, we'll do, you, do you feel happy and confident enough. that of with how games work? That you I, can I believe, yes, I believe I can, I can handle this responsibility. Excellent. And hey, worst case, this gets edited before it gets sent out, right? So we can't. Yeah, that's true. That. Casey uh, or Tracy, if I um, screw up, uh, just set that aside and put it at the end of the episode. Mm. I guess, including <laughs> me getting your name wrong. <laughs> As always, we end one shot with a call to action. Heroes, I'd like to urge you to go out and call your representatives. Calling a representative is a great way to directly advocate for an issue. It's a way that many elected officials keep a temperature of what their constituents are looking for, and because not many people do it, an individual caller can make a huge difference. When I call my representatives, I use a site called fivecalls.org. That's the number five, calls.org. There you can find a list of issue summaries from around the country, along with contact information for your reps and scripts to read while you're on the phone to help you get your message across. Calling is quick, and it can make a vital difference. Thanks, heroes. As always, a humble and hearty thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. For the latest one-shot news, be sure to follow me on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod, or look for news on the site at OneShotPodcast.com. If you want to inquire about ad rates, live appearances, commissioning episodes, or you have a general question or comment for the show, contact us at GameMaster at OneShotPodcast.com. OneShot is a production of the OneShot Podcast Network, in association with Paracosm Press. Paracosm Press is a Chicago-based tabletop games publisher. You can find more information at P-A-R-A 
cosmpress.com. Finally, that music which is right now swelling up over my voice is Adventure by Be Your Own Pet, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes. Heroes.